it's okay not to know how to manage pain. Right. It's okay to it's okay to cry. It's okay to have some despair. Uh, and so that's what I would share with men. That's one of the biggest problems is that we are afraid to be exposed. You just heard my special guest, O'Brien Wimbish, in our conversation about relationships, sexuality, and men's health. Stay tuned for a really good episode of the Small Talk Big Thoughts podcast. Small talk, big thoughts, big thoughts. Small talk, big thoughts, big thoughts. Small talk, big thoughts, big thoughts. Oh. Welcome to the Small Talk Big Thoughts podcast. I'm your host, Ebony Griffin. Today, I talked to O'Brien Wimbish about men's health. You know, you're a minister, you're a therapist. And then I saw instructor as well. Yes, yes. I am instructor of biblical interpretations and the doctrine of Christ at the Washington Baptist Theological Seminary. I've been there since about 2000. Uh, man, maybe 2014, maybe. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I've been there quite a quite a bit yeah that's a good little wow okay so that's good and I mean we're going to get a little bit deeper into all the things because it's like you're you're doing a lot so um let's go ahead right on in there why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself all right sounds good so grew up uh, Christian home father pastor pastored me um went to private school my first few years up until sixth grade, uh, and then I went to public school, um, moved to the suburbs. I started getting into a lot of trouble in the suburbs, ended up getting expelled from high school in the 10th oh. grade. <laughs> I, got, I got expelled in the 10th grade, ended up going to a private school, I got discipled by these um, uh, individuals. After that, uh, this, uh, this really turned my life over to Christ. Um, and it started preaching and teaching at my school uh, when I was, I, that's too much. Ask me more questions. My, my, my story is, I can, talk, I, can, I can talk a long time about my story. So anyway, yeah, yeah, uh, disciple, um, had an encounter with God one night coming home from Bob Jones University in the Carolinas. Um, God literally knocked me on my back and just kind of, mm -hmm. uh, I cried out to him saying, God, whatever you want me to do, um, I want you to use me. Um, and I didn't know at that time that God was calling me to the ministry. Uh, my father ended up having a dream about me one night that he heard two people preaching and he woke up from that dream and God was telling him that he had called me to preach and he shouldn't try to stop me from preaching. Um, and so my father announced that to the church. Um, I wasn't there uh, at the church at the time. I was visiting my friend, her church, and I came back people were saying congratulations and then all of a sudden I asked my father he said God told me to let you go ahead and preach and so on June 4th 1997 I preached my first sermon uh, called the loving father uh, that my senior year um, I just felt God calling me back to my high school I got expelled from um, nobody wanted me to go back to that high school I mean I left the high school with a GPA of 0.71 Okay. <laughs> Nobody wanted me to go back. I had totally changed my life. Um, started doing really good in school. Uh, if I see you, I just felt God saying, go back to your high school. Um, my school tried to keep me there. They tried to give me a scholarship. 
Uh, they tried to help pay tuition, but I said, you know what? No, um, God has called me to go back to the high school I got expelled from. Went back to my high school, started the ministry there. Uh, one day, walked in there, two of us, uh, a brother named um, D. Malcolm Williams, great preacher of the gospel. Uh, he was a 10th grader, and myself, we had a, a counselor named Mr. Talbert. We went to the cafeteria, and we said, we're going to pray. And it was two freshmen there, and we started praying in November of 1998. And we had four people in there praying. Um, by, the, it, by the time we finished, I graduated, uh, we had over 80 people praying every day. At one point, we had over 300 people uh, in the wow. cafeteria. Um, and so God just birthed a ministry from that, from us teenagers, we called it Make It Plain Ministry. Uh, and we went to different high schools, um, Central High School, Suitland High School, Largo High School, Oxon Hill High School. Uh, and we started uh, doing revivals. Wow. We, we went to one church, uh, Pastor Macklin's church, and we were teenagers, he didn't know us. Uh, and we went, knocked on his door and he said, come on in. So we teenagers said, hey, we want to do a revival. And he said, well, y'all can use my church. And this was a mega church. I mean, this is a sanctuary at Kingdom Square. Um, so we had a revival there with some great preachers, one Philip Pointer, great pastor down in Arkansas now. He came and preached for us. Teenagers got saved, man. And, and God has just been blessing. So that's that's a little bit about my how my ministry got started. Okay. So that's how you're how you told me a little bit about you. And then also you went right into like how God has become a part of your life. And so that's pretty remarkable, um, especially because you started off, you know, with school, just the transition from like, it sounds like one city being in DC and then going to like a suburb, that was a little bit of a change for you. And, and, and you had to go through that transition process. And what it looked like was you getting expelled, right? So um, did you feel like going back to school, going back to that high school, God calling you back was more about like redemption or what do you think it was about for God during that time? It's about discipleship. Um, Okay. Making disciples and nothing to do about redemption, um, a second chance. Uh, God had uh, given me a second chance. Um, So it was about just following the voice of God and the calling of God on my life at that time was to go back and, and disciple students in these in the public schools. And so that's what we did, man. And yeah. even to this day, you got some great preachers of the gospel that has come out of that particular ministry, Make Your Plain Ministry. Wow, that's remarkable. So what do you see for from yourself then, from O'Brien then to O'Brien now? What are those similarities? Oh, man, you said we got 30 minutes? Oh, yeah, we did. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, woo, that uh, that O'Brien then, the high schooler, uh, was fearless, um, was, was immature, <laughs> um, was zealous, uh, rebellious. Um, um, the O'Brien now is a dad. <laughs> okay. I got bills, <laughs> I got responsibilities. <laughs> Um, and so I'm, I'm wiser now than I was back then. I'm more patient now than I was back then. So I think that's the major difference is my patience, um, in uh, my wisdom. I'm still very zealous for the gospel. still very passionate about the gospel. So yeah, that's the difference in the similarities. All right. Um, so um, give me and the listeners a little bit more information about how 
you transition, not that discipleship stops, right? But how do you transition from discipleship to therapy? Okay, uh, that story. <laughs> um, I've always known that I was a healer. Um, always known that God had given me a gift, gift to heal, um, heal people spiritually, emotionally. Um, that's just what my calling was, uh, to help people reach their purpose. Um, and so as a teenage preacher, um, I never liked taking up, receiving an offering. Because uh, I always say, as a teenager now, I always said I want to do ministry from my heart. Uh, I don't want, I don't want to have to, I don't want the ministry to pay me. Again, my immaturity. Uh, and so I said at that time that I want to become a, a psychologist because I can still help people. It can still be my calling, um, but I don't have to rely on the church to support me financially. Again, just in my immature mind. And so I said, what can I do to still help people, to still heal people, to help people heal um, and do ministry and that let the church be burdened um, to, um, to pay for me? And so I said, I'll go to school and become a psychologist. Again, um, my GPA was horrible. I did not like school. Um, I did not like, that's a whole nother story why I didn't like school. We can talk about that another day. Um, but I did not like school. Um, I did not like, I don't like busy work. And so me and school, high school never got along because I just don't like busy work. Um, and so my GPA before I got expelled was 0.7. And so by the time I graduated, it rose some, but it wasn't, you know, 3.0 type GPA. And my SATs at the time sucked. So I wasn't planning on going to college for real, for real. Um, so one of my friends, he was in college in South Carolina, all school called Morris College. So he was like, OB, man, just apply down here. So I applied to the school in Morris College, the only school that I applied for um, in undergrad, got accepted. Uh, and then um, said, you know what, I go down there and I study psychology. Well, the school I went to at the time, they didn't have a psychology major. Um, and so I just chose what I considered the next best thing was sociology, um, dealing with people, dealing with society. So I majored in sociology um, and that's how I got into mental health. And then in college, um, worked with United Way. Um, I was a teen pregnancy prevention specialist. And so I created a curriculum for teenagers uh, to help prevent teen pregnancy in the South. Uh, Pledge Alpha Phi Alpha. Uh, I did a, uh, led a project called Project Alpha. Um, and so that, that's how I, I worked with uh, Red Cross, of Men Against Violence. Um, and so I did that. Um, I was a sex educator in college. I helped students. Uh, practice safe sex and to avoid pregnancy. So that's how we got into mental health. Okay. And so uh, speaking of sex, it looks like what you are doing now, like you're one of your primary focuses now is sex therapy, right? And so uh, tell us a little bit more about like the target and like the flow of that, uh, because you're helping people but we're talking about sex, which is a little bit taboo. And then going further with you, you also have, um, you know, your organization that basically talks about just really improving sex in the black church. So give us, give, give me a little bit more about, about all that. Ooh, you, you asked me these broad questions. Hey. Lord have mercy. Um, so as a sex therapist, um, how do I get into sex? My, my, I grew up in a very sex-positive home. I mean, my, my father uh, was very open. 
about sex. <laughs> uh, as a matter of fact, the first book I read about sex is when I got expelled from school. Uh, I found a book in my father's office called, um, um, oh man, what's the name of that book? Dang, I can't think of it now. That is horrible. The Act of Marriage, that's what it's called. Uh, I forgot the author's name, but The Act of Marriage. And it was a sex book. It's a, a gospel sex book, but it's about sex. And it's just like, like I read it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, just learning so much about sex and about sexuality, you know, from that book. And I, you know, my father would talk to us openly about sex and sexuality. Um, he told us about the clitoris. He told us about, um, you know, um, don't worry about your penis, uh, how big, how small it is. You know, it only takes a few inches to please a woman. And um, you know, he told us the anatomy of the women and stuff like that. I mean, I'm a teenager. Uh, but my father very open. Um, he also talked about the morality of sex and that sex is for marriage, is that I don't have to practice sex with a whole lot of different women uh, to enjoy sex with your future wife. And that was very helpful for me. Um, and so my father very open sexually with us. Um, <laughs> and so go to college and then God just leads me to United Way. Uh, and I started teaching, developing curriculum for sexuality for middle schoolers and high schoolers uh, in South Carolina. And so I started my journey of writing curriculum and stuff on sex and sexuality when I was an undergrad student. And we wrote a whole curriculum for the county of, for the um, Sumter District um, in South Carolina. And that's how I got started. Um, oh, I mean, you, got, you asked me too many big, broad questions. Well, okay, well, I can narrow it down. I can narrow it down. Yeah, I, mean, I, think, minutes. <laughs> I think you're asking, you're really answering a lot of the questions. Um, just on that, um, because we are talking about men's health, I wanted to find out from you as a trained sex therapist, basically, that's mm -hmm. like your primary um, focus. What would you, what kind of advice would you give to men, married or unmarried, um, young or old? What kind of advice would you give regarding just sex as a whole? Like, what was the most valuable advice, especially learning from your dad who was open in a Christian home? What would you say to individuals, males? I would say to men um, about sex, it's a beautiful thing. Um, it's a very intimate thing. It's a very vulnerable thing uh, to, to allow yourself to be vulnerable when it comes to sex and sexuality. Um, uh, to recognize that it's God's, God gave us our sexual body. God gave us these pleasure principle, ple pleasure centers in our body. Um, and so sex, our sex and sexuality belongs to God. And so enjoy our sex, enjoy our wives, enjoy our sexuality um, to learn about it. I think for men, we assume that we ought to know how to be sexual. Uh, and that's not the reality. Uh, most of us don't grow up in a sex positive home. Most of us learn sex uh, from pornography uh, and from locker room talk. And we never sit down with anyone to teach us about sex, to teach us about um, how to please a woman. We never sit down with a, a, a lady to understand uh, what women want. And so to learn about sex, to educate yourself about sex. Um, so that, that's, that's what I would say to men, is that okay. sex is a beautiful thing. Be vulnerable. Um, that's when sex is at its greatest, is we're able to be vulnerable. Um, don't use sex to define your masculinity. Uh, that it doesn't define your masculinity. So that, that's what I would share with you. 
Okay. And you mentioned, like when you were talking about your dad, that you grew up in a sex positive home. Can you describe a little bit about like, what is the definition of like sex positive and in contrast to the negative aspect? Yes, especially in a black church, most people are taught that sex is bad. Um, you know, don't have sex until you're married. That's all. That's what we're told. Don't have sex until you're married. As if we're supposed to switch some magical switch when you're married and be like, oh, I'm great with sex. Um, you know, but growing up in a home that my father taught us about um, being horny. My father taught us about um, masturbation. He taught us about um, orgasms he we talk again age, i'm in high school at this time when i had a younger brother and it was very age appropriate conversations about sex about your body belonging to you don't touch it blah 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 for my younger brother but for me it was more you know um, you're a teenager now you know these things um it was never no shame around sex um it was always i could always talk to my father about anything sexual uh, and, and my mom as well anything sexual we wanted to talk about we can talk about it um, and so that, that, that's what I mean by sex positive. And sex was always for the glory of God. Um, and it was sex was never a bad thing in my house. Uh, it was never shameful, um, but it ought to be done to bring God his glory. Um, and sex is more than just for pregnancy and procreation. It's for intimacy. Um, that's why women have clitorises. There's no really other purpose of a clitoris in a female other than pleasure and orgasm. Um, my father taught me that most women don't, I have orgasms by penetration only. Um, they, you know, only a few a few amount of women can have orgasms by penetration only. And so all those things help me to be able to talk about sex openly and not to be ashamed about, uh, about sex and sexuality. And my father's very open about his sexual struggle. Growing up, he was molested as a young boy. Uh, and so he had to go through his own counseling uh, to be able to be free sexually because his molestation kind of messed him up sexually. And he used his sex as a way to be masculine. Um, but once he dug deep into his molestation, he was able to become open um, about his sexuality as well. Okay, all right. And so, um, and that's that's some really good information about like the rate, how you were raised, what, what family-wise, what that looks like, having age-appropriate conversations, not being shy about the conversation of sex. Yes, there is an idea, okay, don't do it until you're married, but there was like, okay, why don't you do it, number one? Why do you do it when you do do it? You're glorifying God. But then also, what's going on in between? What's happening to your body, the changes you're going through? How do you deal with those things? How do you manage those feelings? So it sounds like to me, that's what sex positive means in, in your family. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And so, um, so what I wanted to talk a little bit more about is just, just the male aspect. Like what advice overall would you say for men? I know that you're counseling men and women couples, and even, I know you even have some young, young kids or whatever, and we're not going to go deep into like the people that you counsel, but overall, because this, this month of November is focused on just like men's health, physically and mentally, what do you, what do you see as being like one of those things that is kind of like a struggle right now for men? One of the struggles is because men are wired uh, to uh, protect, we're wired to 
uh, be the providers. Um, we're, we're wired, um, um, lack of better words, to be to lead. Um, men, some men, I don't speak for all men, but and especially men in the black community, especially men, uh, even narrow, narrow down religious men, Islamic, Muslim, Jewish men, um, Hindu men, uh, religious men. Um, there, there is a idea that we have to be able to be experts at everything, uh, that we have to know everything, that there ought not to be any type of weakness, perceived weakness in us. Um, that, and so because of that being wired in us, uh, seeking out help is something that we do not do. Uh, not because we don't think we need it, um, but because um, one of the, I remember going through a tr uh, crisis in my life and uh, it's an older brother that, that mentors me. He said, O'Brien, he said, one thing that men fear the most is being exposed. Um, and I think it's being exposed that men don't seek therapy. It's, I have to share these hurts that I've never shared with anybody. I got to share this guilt, this shame that I've never shared with anybody. I've been guarding and I built my life. I built my emotions. I built my ideas around protecting these weaknesses, protecting of being exposed. And so as men, we have to know that it's okay uh, to seek out help. It's okay not to know how to manage pain. Uh, it's, okay to it's okay to cry. It's okay to have some despair. Uh, and so that's what I would share with men. That's one of the biggest problems is that we are afraid to be exposed. And so going to somebody, exposing our weaknesses and our shames and our guilt, that's, that's a very uncomfortable, um, very vulnerable thing. And if men can just get over that and go to a therapist that is um, strong enough to handle men and um, um, be able to be patient, uh, patient enough with men, because it takes time for men to be comfortable talking to a stranger or talking to a therapist. Um, and so therapists have to be patient. So the biggest issue is just fear of being exposed and fear of the unknown. I don't know what therapy is gonna do. I don't know how my wife will see me. I don't know how my children will view me if I go. So just recognize that we all have, we all have faults. We all have struggles. We all have fear. Um, we all have anxiety. And that getting with someone to help us become stronger uh, is a good thing. And many men now are seeking out therapists. And I'm so glad that some of our artists and our um, more high profile men in the black community are saying therapy works. And so that's, so yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I appreciate that as well. Uh, just knowing that, and that's really the first time that I've heard about just the exposure piece. Generally, it's just more about like, hey, I don't want to share. I don't want to go there. I want to, you know, share all those things. I want to go back there, take my mind back there, right? Um, but generally, you're what you what it sounds like you're saying is like this is more about exposure. It's like uh, peeling back a lot of layers to the onion. And the more you expose, it really is connected to like the trust aspect as well. Like, can I trust this person not to shame me? Can I trust them not to judge me? Um, and just allow me to just be me and we work from there on what would be healthy. Absolutely. Okay. And um, would you say that for you that, you know, it's 
easier when you're working with a with a couple in regards to the support of like encouraging the woman to support the the male in the relationship um or is it harder for the man to really want to expose to kind of like get the support because i, I want to find out how women listening could really support the men in their lives as well especially because we're talking about how close mental health is to physical health, physical health is to mental health. It's just really important to support those people, the men in our lives that, that might need the support. Well, that's a, that's a um, good question. To who, is it easier? It depends, it, it, it's not an easier situation. It, it's case by case uh, when it comes to couples. Um, but for women um, who will be listening, just what you said. Um, how do you support us? Just having that mindset is all we need. Uh, is I have a mind for women to have a mindset to want to support black men, or to not just black men, support men in their lives. Um, that is, I think that's the first step is for women to have a desire to want to support. Uh, and support mean, does not mean to want to change. Support does not mean to fix. Uh, support need means to be there for the man. Um, and uh, if women could just have that mentality, that I want to support this brother. Um, I want to be here for this man. I want to be here for this teenage boy, this child. Even young boys need support. Yeah. Um, and so just having that mindset. And when it comes to support, to listen to men about ways they can support. Uh, because not every man needs to be supported the same way. And to, to be in a relationship with a man and think that he needs the same support that your father or that your fa their father needs needed or that a former boyfriend needed is wrong. You got to listen to them in your life. Um, and you have to be willing to support. Um, for example, if you're married, some men need support by just a woman just helping them manage their budget. Uh, some men need support by just uh, knowing that, hey, um, my wife will be intimate with me. I don't have to fight for intimacy. And that's, I need to know that I can uh, hold my wife and not be rejected. Some men need that. Some men need support uh, by having a wife who encourage them um, to be more reserved or to be more outgoing. So listen to the man in your life. Listen to the men in your life of how they need support. Uh, don't just assume. Um, um, don't just assume that that what you're doing is supporting them. Make sure you ask. Uh, and oftentimes, and this is the hard part for many women, oftentimes the support that your man needs is the area that you're most weakest in. And so because of that, you don't want to support that way because it will call, it will force you to have to change and force you to have to grow. And so when people come together, it is often a rea reality that what one needs for support, the other, uh, the other uh, is very weak in. Uh, for example, if I need support and accountability, uh, my wife may be weak in managing time. Wasn't that good? And that was only part one of my talk with O'Brien Wimbish. Stay tuned for part two next time. For now, let's reflect on the big thought. 
Men, it's okay not to know how to manage your pain. It's okay to cry. And it's okay to be vulnerable with others. And it is okay to seek help. That's all we have for this time. Until next time, good people. Small talk, big thoughts, big thoughts. Small talk, big thoughts, big thoughts. Small talk, big thoughts, big thoughts. Oh.